this going. Um, last week uh, we, kind of, we were kind of light in here, holiday weekend I think and all. So this week I'm going to uh, just briefly touch on what we we did last or we talked about last week. Um, and then we have a lot of material left still, so uh, I'm going to really be pushing to get through everything in this hour. So just kind of stretch a little bit, get a pen, because we got a lot of blanks to fill out. We got a lot. Of, hopefully, you're still in Exodus. We got a lot of verses. We'll probably skip some of them. The passage that Steve talks about is actually one of my points. Uh, there's really three teachings out of the tabernacle, and that's one of them. So. Alright, so the Wilderness Tabernacle. First, uh, just a quick review. We're going to review here of the first few slides. Tabernacle means simply uh, a dwelling place, a tent, a home, something temporary. That's kind of the key word, temporary. Tabernacle is temporary versus temple, which comes along a little later, that's permanent. Um, and then we talked about how there are seven tabernacles in the body, in the, in the Bible. These are all temporary, somewhat dwellings, except the one in heaven. But our bodies, you know, we often hear our bodies called the tabernacle. So there are seven tabernacles in the Bible, and we're talking about the first one, the wilderness tabernacle that Moses put together. Uh, these are three important um, facts behind the tabernacle. Uh, looks like my digits got cut off there. But first, the tabernacle that Moses built, let me just grab this here. I used this a few weeks ago. We use this for the chilling, uh, teaching the kids. The kids like it. We're big kids, so we're going to like it. This is our model of the tabernacle that we have here. I don't know. Well, it's a, it's a store-bought thing. There's all the furnishings that we've been talking about. All right, so the tabernacle, this is basically what it was. It was a portable tent dwelling place of, of, of God. Uh, portable. Uh, point number two, the tabernacle plans were given to Moses at the same time he received the Ten Commandments. We often don't really hear that. But it's kind of key because at the same time God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, which he knew we couldn't keep, he also gave Moses the escape plan how to um, still be have a relationship with God even though you couldn't keep him. Alright, so and then number three, the wilderness tabernacle is a shadow of the real tabernacle that's in heaven. And we talked about shadows and how it's often called a shadow. Uh, I'm cook along here. So in your handout, first page on your handout, these are the three things. Definition of a tabernacle. Remember what a tabernacle is. Temporary. Temporary dwelling place. There's that. That's what goes in that blank. Purpose of the tabernacle. We read this verse last week. This is a key verse with the, the tabernacle, uh, Exodus 25.8. The purpose of the tabernacle, God wants to dwell with us. We talked about dispensations a little bit and the covenants and things like that. The tabernacle of Moses, which is also called the wilderness tabernacle, is a blank of the heavenly tabernacle. It's a shadow. We just said that. So these are the the answers on on your handout for those three. 
Alright, so then, and there it is again. Um, I think I'm going to... That's what it looked like. They, they used this for around 350, 400 years. They uh, carted it all over the the desert during the 40-year wanderings up through Joshua and all that. that. This is what they carried around. They set it up. It's kind of like a mash unit. They'd set it up. They'd camp a while. And then God would move them. They'd, they'd continue on. Um, all right, so with that... We read the passage where Moses gives them the the materials list. It required a lot of things to make this. God wanted special things to make it, and that, that's the list. It's on your handout. All of these things uh, have meanings. And one of the things I mentioned last week is um, in our Bibles, um, things have meanings, like, like wood, for example. And really all through our Bible, when, when you see the, the God talking about wood or trees, he's usually talking about people, uh, humanity, you know, flesh. Uh, goat skins, always kind of a rebellion, deception. I mean, all of these, all of these typifies things and it, it, it's consistent throughout God's Word. So, learning the tabernacle will set a guy up to understand a lot of other things in our Bible. Uh, we talked about how it's measured. It's all in cubits and handbreadths. You know, 18 inches, 4 inches. There are four primary colors used throughout the tabernacle. These are the colors that are, that are used. And, and again, these stay consistent throughout all of our Bible. White generally is righteousness, purity, purple is royalties, blood, heaven, and, and wealth, divinity. So those are the primary colors that God asked for when he asked Moses and his people to build it. Uh, there it is again. Last week we talked about the outer court. I'm just going to briefly go through this. You know, the thing uh, looked like this, of course. Make that a little bigger. Uh, it's important that north uh, face this way so when you went in from the east... You, you you would go into the thing this way. That's the outer core. We talked about the white linens. We talked about the 60 pillars, what all that means, how they're set in brass. Brass is all key to the outer court. Uh, it's kind of a sign of judgment. So what the outer court teaches us is that the righteousness of God and the separation between God and man... The people camped on the outside of this thing. We, you know, I showed you guys pictures of what the campsite looked like. This white linen curtain showed the barrier. It was an eight foot tall curtain. People couldn't peek in it or anything. It showed the barrier, the separation between God and man. They were out here, sinful man. Holy God is in here. If they want to have a relationship with Holy God, there's one way in through the gate. That's the next thing we talked about. The gates. There's three gates or veils in the tabernacle. There's one here. There's one here. And there's one here. I'll fill that in in a second. All of the veils, curtains, gates, whatever you want to call it, there there were curtains. They consisted of the same four colors. These colors that line up to the four Gospels. There was three of these curtains, and they all represent Christ. 
if you wanted to have a relationship with God, you come through this, like the Gospels, the big gate. This was big one. This is a, this is a wide gate open to whoever, however many wanted to come in, could come in through Christ, and then a smaller gate, and then the smallest. Just like Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And that's what these kind of symbolize. And we talked about all that last week, so I don't want to belabor that one. But So the outer court curtain, this one here, teaches us that there's only one way to approach God, and that is through Christ. So that's, that's a cool teaching of, the, of, that, of that veil. Am I tracking? Yeah. All right. Because we covered this last week, so I didn't want to spend too much time on it. All right. So next, we did talk about this last week. Let me get a red pen. The brazen altar sat right inside of this first curtain. There's little flames there. And pulls through it. And we talked about the brazen altar last week. It was five cubits by five cubits, which if you're a student of the Bible, you know what the number five means. It's the number of death or grace, but it took a death to, get, to bring the grace. Um, so it's a five by five, it's a, actually eight foot by eight foot box. It was about four and a half foot tall. It sat right here inside the curtain. So when... Um, when you needed to offer a sacrifice, you would come in through this curtain. This is the first thing you would see. This uh, God lit it originally when they when they uh, christened, uh, or what would be another word? Dedicated. Dedicated. There you go. When they dedicated the temple, God lit this box, this brazen altar. It was not to go out. It was uh, the coals from this box was used to light the other things that we'll we'll talk about in a second. So this brazen altar, and we talked about this last week. It's God. It, it represents God's judgment on sin. This is like a type of hell. Our salvation is possible through Christ. When you want to have a relationship with God, you you come through Christ. And you see this sacri- this box doing the sacrifices, and you're like, oh, well, I've got to deal with my own sacrifice. I'm going to take Christ that he sacrificed for us. And and that's, that's where they offer it. So that's kind of what that teaches us there. That's why this altar, God wanted it right in front of this gate, this curtain. All right, so the next thing we talked about was the labor. Talked about last week. The brazen labor was... Well, I went backwards. The brazen labor was here. Um, this is where we get the word lavatory. It was just a big wash basin. It was made out of the looking glasses of the ladies that left Egypt. Because, you know, they built this thing only a month or two after they left Egypt. It took them a year to build. But the ladies actually donated their, their little mirrors, and they melted it all together and hammered out this labor. Uh, it was for the priests washing... Yeah, this is a dirt floor. Um, sacrificing is a very bloody, gory thing. So the priests would always have to wash their hands and feet before they go in any further into the tabernacle. And we'll talk about some of that in a second. Um, so it's the brazen labor. And what that teaches us, what we can learn from the brazen labor, is, is our daily washing, our, our sanctification that we go through. Once we accept Christ as our, our Savior, 
Now we have this daily washing, you know, the washing of the water. You know, we, uh, the Bible is referred to as water a lot of times. And I talked about that verse in James where when we look in the Bible or when we read his word, we see ourselves like a reflection just like the water would, would bring. So the labor teaches our sanctification process. Next we get to the, the main building here. You can get a different color. I'll go with green. Actually, I'm going to go with brown. This this building here Yeah, this this curtain was 8 foot. This building was 15 foot. So it did stand up just like it does in our model here. Yeah. You can it does stand up above the curtain. So people could see that. And this is what God typically calls the tent of the congregation. It's called the sanctuary. It's got several different names in our Bible. This is the building we talked about that's made of the 48 boards covered in gold, neatly fitted together with bars, just like we're described in the book of Ephesians, how we're all one body, neatly fit together. And there are all these boards are setting in sockets of silver for redemption. So it's kind of typically, it kind of pictures a church. You got all these individual boards bound together in silver of redemption. So it's just, that's why God calls us a sanctuary a lot. Uh, this thing actually had two rooms. Brown at. Yeah. It had two rooms inside of it. I'm gonna move this here. It had one room. The first room is called the holy place. It's this guy here, and this was called the most holy. So this, this is the holy place. This is the most holy. And very different purposes, which we're going to talk about today. And that's that's some of the verses where those things are defined. Uh, you know, I will throw out too while we're while I'm looking at that is. Um, the first week I dumped my my PowerPoint deck, and then I haven't done that since. But if anybody wants all of these slides, just let me know. I'll dump them into a PDF, and that way you can have them if you, if you want them. Because I didn't put all this on the handout. All right. So next, so this is what it would look like inside this first room here. And remember, we talked about um, the priesthood. We touched on the priesthood the first week. Um, the tribe of Levi were the priest's tribe. And then the sons of Aaron were the high priest's line within that. So people, like the, the average person, the average Israelite, couldn't go no further than the brazen altar. This was, this was the domain of the, the Levites, the priests. So the priests would take and do the sacrifices with the people. The priests would, would go into this room and, and, and do what we're getting ready to talk about. So, that, so people didn't ever go in here. So people didn't know what this looked like other than the descriptions in our, in our Bible. So that's what it would have looked like. And there's three furnishings in this room right here. There's the candlestick, which we talked about last week. The table of showbread, which we'll talk about today. And then the the uh, altar of incense. So there was three furnishings in this room. Let me just draw them real quick. 
Yeah, we did see when we went to Israel. We saw that. The yeah, candlestick? The, the menorah, yeah. The, yeah, that's why I told him last week. You probably, because I have a picture of it up here, you probably saw that, and I figured you probably it's did. It's kind of in, encased in like one inch thick plexiglass. But, I mean, you can walk up to it and take your picture right beside it, like we did. And yeah, I've got a picture of it here. It's as tall as I am. Yeah, they're, they think they were three to five five or six feet tall. Is, so. is it the same one that was in the tabernacle? Well, no, they no. made it. Yeah, they made it. Remember I showed you the Archititis last week? We actually have a, an archaeological picture of Titus sacking Jerusalem. And there's a, that's how we know what it looks like. It's the institute that built this one. Yeah, it is. They, they built so it. Is there one pure gold? Yeah, it's pure gold. And so is this one. Oh, wow. So is this one. Yeah, yeah, we. Um, they said it was worth several million dollars. Yeah, it was, and, and we talked about it last week. I don't remember who all was here, but um, this was pure gold made from one solid piece of gold, which is still a, an architectural marvel. People don't understand how they could have done that. This was all beaten out of one piece of gold. And in our Bibles, it talks about the knops and the almonds and the flowers and, and the servant branch in the middle. And it's a very intricate piece that God describes and that they had them build. And that's the golden candlestick, which is kind of a misleading because it's not a candlestick. It was an olive oil burning thing. Uh, it's not wax. But, but God calls it a candlestick. And we talked about this last week, how the priest would have to come in here every morning and evening and uh, tend to this thing, trim the wicks, which were made out of priest's old robes. They would trim the wicks. They would add olive oil. The people were on the hook to supply the olive oil, which is interesting. Um, so they would and they used around a quarter or so a day of olive oil. Uh, see, these are some of the things with the, the lamp stand we can learn, the candlestick. It was all beaten gold. And it, specifically, God uses the word beaten just like Christ, you know, it's, it's a type of, all this stuff, everything in here is a type of Christ. Uh, it's priceless, it, it represents Christ's suffering, his beatings, uh, the uh, beaten, oppressed olive oil. It represents the Holy Spirit that burns bright. Which remember Gethsemane, when Jesus prayed in Gethsemane before he was uh, crucified, means olive press. So Jesus was pressed like an olive in order to get that Holy Spirit, you know, to, to sacrifice to get us the Holy Spirit. And then uh, the light represents God, His illumination on us, doing His work in His sanctuary. So all, everything about the tabernacle is so deep and meaningful. It's, it's really interesting. So we covered this last week, so I don't want to spend. <coughs> Too much time on that. And that's the picture Steve's talking about. The Temple Institute created this already because they're gearing up for the third temple. Uh, you know, weighs a thousand pounds, it's three million bucks estimated. Yeah, anybody can walk up and take pictures with it. Like I figured, you guys probably saw it. Yeah, it's so. sitting right outside the Temple Institute uh, museum type. Yeah. The Temple Institute, they've been busy boys for the last 20, 30 years because they've been training priests, they've been making utensils, they've been totally gearing up to make the third temple. They just can't pull the trigger until the red heifers are sacrificed, which we're about two years into that. 
So it could be, the red have to be four years old, around two to three, okay. and they're around two now. They started out with five, now they're down to four. One of them sprouted a hair, but uh, so that's cool. So it's, it won't be long. Um, all right. So the, on your handout, this is I think at the bottom of the first page. The golden candlestick teaches us that we need God's light, the Holy Spirit, that He provides for us as we do His work. As the priests are ministering in this holy place, this was the only light available. There's no outside light in this thing. Remember, we talked about the coverings, the badger skins, and all that that covered this thing up. It was pitch black in here. Just the light of the candlestick. So... Alright, so next, this is kind of a new, I don't think we got to this last week. The altar of incense set right here in front of this, this last veil. It's the third furnishing in this holy place. Um, that's kind of what we think it looked like. It wasn't very big, just a foot and a half or so, uh, three, three foot tall. It also is made out of shittim wood. We've talked a lot about the shittim wood. Overlaid with gold. It had a crown, just like the table of showbread we're getting ready to, to hit on. It has a crown around it with horns. Remember, the, the brazen altar had horns. Horn in your Bible always signifies power and strength. So, uh, it's, it's, again, this is a type of Christ. Um, it had a special blend of incense that was to be burned on this altar. Uh, and then the... the um, the, the uh, what's called recipe is listed here in this Exodus 30. Uh, they, they would get killed if they, they they used it somewhere else. So so basically, God said, "Make my incense, burn my special blend in this incense burner, and don't use it anywhere else. And if you do, I'll kill you." So I mean, he was very serious about the incense uh, because a couple guys a little later didn't do it right because they were also supposed to light this box with the coals of the altar. The coals of the altar are to light the candlestick and the incense altar. So everything comes from Christ's sacrifice, all the power. And uh, there's that story that those two guys lit it with, I don't know, Kingsford match or whatever, and God killed them for it. They didn't use the the, uh, the altar. Strange fire is what it's called. Now, incense in our Bible always this is another type that always plays, plays true. It's a picture of prayer. Many verses in the Bible talk about prayer being a type of incense. Uh, incense is precious to God. Um, and there's some lots of verses about how how God takes prayer serious. I've always liked this verse in, in 1 Peter three seven, and I've kind of taught on this verse before, but I, I, I think of this a lot. My relationship with Sherry, my wife, anytime it's hindered by something I've probably done, something stupid, but I've got to fix it because my prayers are hindered if I don't have a good relationship with my my wife, my spouse. So God takes prayer very very, very serious. Uh, and and the incense. Um, think about this this room here. The priest comes in, he, and while he's trimming the candle and, and messing with the showbread, he's burning this incense, this special blend incense that God wants. Um, that's going to permeate everything He does in that room, just like prayer should in our lives. Everything in our lives should be per- permeated. We call it bathed in prayer. 
All the work that the priests, which we're all priests if we know the Lord, all the things that we do need to be bathed in prayer. And that's that's what that's kind of saying there. Um, and and it's a special blend of incense prayer. God doesn't want us praying to something other than Him. We use His incense. We use we pray the way He wants us to pray. That's why we can't just mix up our own concoction and pray to something. It's very you can do a whole message on this. I think it's really neat. So always burning. I bet that just smelled awesome in there. Uh, God actually asked this thing to be placed right next to the curtain where he's at. He's in here. We'll talk about that place in a second. He wanted the incense right next to him. I guess me. He wants prayer close to God. Um, where he meets with us. And I think this is cool too. You guys remember Zacharias? This was the father of John the Baptist. This is in Luke. Whenever the angel tells John the Baptist's dad that your wife's going to have you know, John the Baptist, he's actually in here burning incense because he was a priest. He was a Levite. In First Chronicles, there's a there's the layout of have the, the the different priest families, different times of the year they served in here. Well, it happened to be Zacharias's time, and he was in this room serving, burning incense when the angel showed up told him about John the Baptist. So I think that's kind of cool. And then our enemy wants to taunt and disrupt us. And here's, here's another thing that's cool. Um, you know, they're told to burn incense. They're told to sacrifice a lamb morning and evening. You know, then they do their washing. They're told to trim the candle morning and evening. And burn the incense when you're in there doing it. And there's, uh, God specifically tells us when Goliath is taunting Israel, he would come out and do it at morning and evening. When these guys are supposed to be in here praying, burning incense. And to me, it's just like us. When we want to get serious, when we want to sit down and pray, everything in the world will distract us, taunt us like Goliath did when we should be having prayer time. And that's, what, that's the same thing that went on here. So, there. All right, so on your handout, the altar of incense teaches us the importance of prayer, of our prayer life. We got to have the right ingredients, the right heart attitude, the right frame of mind, with proper time. We need to set a time for prayer. You know, I've said before, everybody needs to have their prayer place. You know, I've got one out in my field. That's that's where I some of my most serious prayers are. I've got a prayer place, prayer closet. And the proper attitude, just like the way they were told to take care of this altar of incense. The importance of prayer life. So, that concludes that first holy place. Oh, no, we didn't do the table yet. I forgot. Yeah, alright, so coming around. On the north side, the table of showbread. Uh, this is another. Um, it's a wood table, basically. It's three foot by a foot and a half wide, two feet tall. It's, you know, it's like a coffee table. Uh, I think it's interesting. It's the first mention of table in our Bible. Table in our Bibles pretty much always represent fellowship. You know, table, wherever it shows up in the story. Um, it's like... The, and. and 
This is the other furnishing that's measured by hand breadth, breadth instead of cubits. So I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, it's made also from shittim wood, overlaid with gold. It also has the crown around the top, specifically so the bread can't slip off. So, so think about that. Like the, the crown representing Jesus. The bread ends up representing the twelve tribes, his people, God's people. So Jesus will not let his people slip off. You know, this is another where you could develop this out about once saved, always saved. God's not going to lose you. This crown's going to keep you right where you need to be. Um, overlaid with gold, had a decorative crown, two stays, they carried it on their shoulders. It held the twelve loaves of showbread. Um, Showbread is it's an old Hebrew word. This is the Strong's. I like the way Steve does that sometimes. You'll put the Strong's reference. So I got Strong. It's, it's face bread. It's the bread of presence. It's it's bread for God. Um, and that's what this bread was. Is that the actual table, or is that just a replica? Or oh, that's a replica. A yeah, it's just a replica. There's all kinds of people that replicate this thing. Yeah, they probably got something at a thrift store and spray painted it, and you know, which is cool. And it gives us a. It does match the description with the height and the crown and the staves and all that. So the bread, baked fresh every Saturday, the Sabbath. Um, that's in Leviticus. It's the wonder bread. And here's why. Remember I told you how, you know, the Bible tells us that the children of Israel marched through the desert for 40 years and their clothes never wore out. It's kind of, it's the same thing with the tabernacle. This never wore out. There's no instructions on how to repair the, the tent, how to repair anything. This thing don't wear out. When they baked the bread and placed it on the table, it, it sat there for a week and the next Sabbath, the priests would come in and eat it. And, it, and they say, the priest's writings say it was just as fresh as the day it was made. So it didn't go bad. It's the original Wonder Bread. Um, it was made from finely beaten flour. And God uses these words a lot because it's a type of Christ. He was beat. There's 12 loaves stacked in two rows. 6-6, six, six, 66, like the number of books in our Bible. Uh, the table represents Christ. You know, it's got the crown and the gold, wood interior, gold exterior. Um, the table represents Christ. The loaves represent Christ. He's the bread of life. He tells us that. It also represents the twelve tribes of Israel. God tells them that these represent the twelve tribes, and God's word, the sixty-six. 12, you know, 6 and 6. So it's really cool. The bread has multiple meanings. Um, all those are the same size. Well, I think it's cool because if it represents people, yeah. the tribes, the tribes were very different sizes. You know, Benjamin was little. Some were big. Just like us, we're all different, but God sees us the same. He's no respecter of people. These those are the same size. I think that's neat. So, the, the loaves were eaten by the priests the next Sabbath. When they came in here to minister, the priests would all get together in the sanctuary and break bread, pray. This is a picture of the Lord's Supper. It's like the first Lord's Supper. It's communion. Because we're priests. We're believers. And so it's kind of a foreshadow. And, and that it's closed... You know, Brian will often say this is closed communion. You can only partake of the Lord's Supper 
if you're a believer, you've trusted his sacrifice and, and you're sanctifying yourself, you're working on yourself, and now you're welcome into the sanctuary to partake of the Lord's Supper. So that's why he says stuff like that. This wasn't done out. They didn't take the bread and bring it out here to everybody to eat. This is for the priests. So, anyway. So the table of showbread teaches us that we're sustained by His Word, the 66 books, and Christ with the crown, because He is our bread of life. That's on your handout. Alright, so next, we got the big one. We could spend an hour easily on this. Uh, this is the veil that separates the most holy from the holy place. This most holy place here, people didn't go to that. The high priest was allowed to go once a year into this this back room. This is where God dwelt. This had an extra heavy curtain. God wanted it uh, decorated a little more than the others. Same colors, representing Christ. God wanted cherubs, which is the plural of cherubim, or cher- cherubim, plural of cherub. God wanted cherubims embroidered on this veil. And here's why. And what's the definition of cherub? Uh, it's, uh, it's one of God's like <coughs> beings that He created to worship Him and do His work. Yeah, Satan was a cherub. So angel, basically? Uh, For this discussion, yeah. Um, It was the thickest and most finely decorated, because these these got fancier as you go in, these these veils. Uh, He requested the cherubim, just like in Genesis. Whenever the man sinned and he runs them out of the garden, he puts a cherubim with the flaming sword to keep them out. Because this is God's. You're not allowed. And he does it again here. So I think that's pretty neat. Man was not to go into here just willy-nilly. You only went in there once a year for a specific purpose, and then you got out. This is, we'll talk about that in a second. Now, this veil, this one here is called Christ's flesh in Hebrews 10. Um, God seen one side. The priest would see one side. It's kind of a two-sided veil. This way God would have seen Christ. When Christ was crucified and His body was ripped for us and tore, this is the veil that was torn in the temple. In Matthew, when it says it, it ripped top to bottom. So this veil that keeps people out was ripped in half with Christ. That's why that that little line in the New Testament is so significant. Because that's very significant that that veil is now gone. That's why the Bible says we can enter boldly now into His throne. Alright, so, there's the veil that most holy teaches us. A relationship with God made possible by, by Jesus Christ. A relationship is possible because this veil has been torn for us. By his blood, by his sacrifice. Alright, so now we get to the uh, the big piece, the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, this is another one that we could spend a lot of time on, but we just we just don't have that time. But we believe that's what it looked like. Um, we've seen it uh, it's in lots of movies. You know, it's 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 a thing of value. People are always looking for it. There's all kind of interesting uh, theories on where this thing is because it disappeared um, back in, in Chronicles before the temple, the Jerusalem was sacked. 
All right, so what is this thing? This is where God dwells. What it is, well, I want to throw this up. This box, the Ark of the Covenant, has many different names, uh, just like Christ. You know, Christ has like hundreds of names. This thing has many different names. This thing also pictures Christ and everything about it. Uh, these are just some of the names here. Um, it's the first furnishing, this box and lid, and we'll, we'll talk about what it is in a second, it is the first thing described to Moses. This thing is very important to God. It's the most sacred and glorious furnishing. This whole tabernacle thing is built around that box. The operation and, and such. It is kept in the most holy place. Um, yeah, this is something I always thought was interesting with the most holy place. Uh, my, my drawing is a little bit out of whack, but this is a perfect cube. It's a perfect square. It's 15 by 15 by 15 tall. It, it, it represents heaven. It's, it's where God dwells. And it's, it's a perfect cube. The ark was made by Moses himself. And he describes that in Deuteronomy. This other stuff was made by the, um, the workmen, as Steve mentioned. Bezalel and Elohel. But Moses himself made this box, and it's also made of shittim wood, overlaid inside and out. Uh, it's in two pieces. It's got a wood box, and then it's got a solid gold lid. The lid's actually solid gold, beaten out of a big old piece of gold. This is, is measured in half cubits which the other things really aren't, except the, the table, which kind of means how you know, Christ was cut in half for us. So things that are like really like Christ, <laughs> he measured them in halves. I think that's interesting. The last time we see this box is in Second Chronicles, right before Nebuchadnezzar. You know, we went through Jeremiah a few years ago with Steve. When Nebuchadnezzar came and sacked Jerusalem, took the temple, tore, tore it apart, and took all the gold. That's the last time we see the ark. shows up again in Revelation 11. So it's not gone. It's somewhere. Uh, well, it's, I'm not going to go into that. I'm starting around time. Philistines looked in it. Yeah, I'm just going to skip that one. All right, so inside. Yes? The ark of the testimony is the same thing as the ark of the covenant? Yes. It's got many names. Remember the first week I told you that Exodus 19 is a very significant chapter in our Bible. Because Exodus 19 is when the Israelites enter into a new covenant with God. Uh, new, new rules, the sacrificial system, the priesthood, the tabernacle, all this stuff was new. Here's how to, relationship, how to have a relationship with God. You do this. And that was a covenant. And they said, we will do it. And um, this box, Ark of the Covenant, is the symbol of the agreement between God and man from that Exodus 19 conversation. So that's why it's also testimony. It's Ark of the Lord. I mean, it's got a bunch of different names. God took this very serious. All right, so inside the box, you know, on the movie, the Nazis' faces melted when they opened the Ark. Uh... So we'll see what's in it. Here's what's inside the ark. God told Moses to put this stuff in the ark. It's got the Ten Commandments. This will be the second set because he broke the first one. It's got Aaron's rod that budded. 
there was an event that happened where people were challenging the authority of the sons of Aaron being the high priests. You know, people always have issues with authority, and some of these guys it's like, hey, you know, why do you get to go in there? Why do you get to wear the fancy high priest uniform? We can do it too. And God said, no. And they had a little contest, and they had a, you know, everybody put out a, a rod, and Aaron's butted, signifying God has approved Aaron as the priest. So that's why God put that in there as a reminder that Aaron is the high priest. And then I had a golden pot of manna. And again, this this spoiled every day when they were getting it in the wilderness. This one stayed fresh. So, anyway, that, those are the three things in the ark. Here's what they represent. Christ was the fulfiller of the law. Christ is our fruitful priest, just like that rod that buds. This is all kind of described in Hebrews 9 and 10. And then Christ is called our hidden manna. So isn't it cool that he put these three things in the ark? And they all represent Christ. It's got this fancy solid gold lid, which is like Christ and the crown of gold. So the ark is just a very cool box. And then this is the mercy seat. This is where God dwelled here. This is where he sat in judgment of, of people, I guess. So, um, Any questions on that? I've been flying. There is no way the Temple Institute can replicate that. You know what they say? It's very clinky-dinky say that. They know where it's at. You know, me and Steve have talked about it in here a few times. Some say it's in Ethiopia. Some say it's buried under the, the rock where the, the Islam has their mosque. They claim they know where it's at. That's Sinai, Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. Who, but, but they have to have it. They'll need it, yeah. Yeah. Which they'll probably just make it if they don't have it. But Anyway, so I'm going to talk for a second about this is that one day of year when the high priest was allowed to go into this room. It's called the Day of Atonement in our Bible. Actually, nowadays they call it Yom Kippur. It's every September. They still do. They still do a ceremony. One day a year, the high priest and see, and for this day, he dons his plain drab linens. He doesn't wear his fancy. You know, you guys have seen me in my high priest suit. I was going to wear it today, but I just it's been too hectic lately. But um, the the high priest would don this very plain. Just like Christ was plain, no comeliness and all that. But um, he would come into this room two times on this day. He'd come in first to offer a sacrifice for himself, the blood of a bull. And then he would come in a little later with the sacrifice for the people. It's been the blood of the, the lamb. Uh, he would come in here burning incense and he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat and that would atone, that would cover the sins of the people for one year. That's all it was good for. And he did that every year on the Day of Atonement and that's all described in, in Leviticus 16. Um, compare that to Jesus. And this is what's so cool about the book of Hebrews in, in chapters 9 and 10. Jesus is our high priest that that when he was sacrificed he went to that heavenly tabernacle to the heavenly most holy and he offered his blood on the mercy seat the the veil ripped 
And that's how we have our access to God now, is because what He did, He dropped His blood. He shed it, and that was perfect blood. So it's not just for one year, like the Day of Atonement. It's forever. So that's the significance of that. Now, another thing that's interesting is um, I read a lot of the Hebrew or the the priest, the, Mish, the Mishnah, and the Talmud. Every year when the priest would come in here, he'd sprinkle seven drops on the mercy seat. Well, the next year when he comes in, it's clean. It's gone. And there's no light in this room either. So there's only the light of God's glory. So I just think that's pretty cool that the priests actually record that when I went in the next year, there was no blood. God accepted it for that one year. It's kind of neat. Because just imagine after like 350 or 400 years of sprinkling blood on something, it would be bloody. Anyway, so Jesus was our high priest. He did it one time. And the veil tore and all that. So that's... It's that. All right, so the Ark of the Testimony teaches us God's grace, mercy, and complete provision. All that stuff that's in the Ark. He leads us. He teaches us. He's fruitful. He feeds us with the manna. For our journey through life, for those who have trusted in Christ, God dwells in us. So that's where this tabernacle thing is getting ready to flip. All right. Nobody tracking? I feel like I'm just hollering along fast. But all right, so now I put this in your handout because now we'll do a quick wrap up. This is kind of scary to look at at first. Now you can fill it out if you want. If you don't want to, that's fine. We start out at the top. This is just a review of all the components of the tabernacle. Up at the top, the the, the white linen curtain shows us the separation between man and God, things of God, things of man. That that appears separation. Next, that four-color curtain to get into the tabernacle, it teaches us there is only one way. There's one way in. You can't crawl under. You can't look over. You can't make your own hole. There's one way in. That's through Christ. Next is the brazen altar. Never goes out. Fire's always burning. Type of hell. God's judgment on sin. The next thing, the brazen labor. It's for washing ourselves. It's for our sanctification. It's for our daily cleansing that we must do to do His work, to have a relationship with Him. Next thing, we go into the sanctuary here. The golden candlestick. It represents God's Holy Spirit. It illuminates our fellowship with Christ. His people and His Word. Golden candlestick. Next, we come up to this corner. Oh, I can't even see it. This is the altar of incense. This is the altar of incense. It's our prayer life we must have. Next, table of showbread. That's what it goes up here. We need a bigger TV in here. <laughs> well, I guess we will have if we go to the trailer. Well, they have a nice TV. Because I've used that one. That's, that's a cool one. Okay. Uh, all right, table of showbread is up here. This guy here. Next, this is the veil of the most holy. It represents our relationship to, to God through Christ. And then lastly, the Ark of the Covenant. It's where God meets with man. So those are the parts. So, moving right along. Three things we can learn from the last three weeks that I've been up here talking about the tabernacle. The, 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 to me, these are the three most important things. 
And the first one, I guess is on your next to the last page, is it really shows us, the tabernacle teaches us how to have a relationship with God. You can overlay the cross on this tabernacle. You come in through Christ. You accept His sacrifice. You start cleaning yourself up. You start reading the Bible. You start your sanctification process we talk about. Then you enter in with other people, the sanctuary, other believers. You got His Holy Spirit. You got your good prayer life going. You got the table of showbread that has, He's our bread for life. It's, it's other people. It's all these components that we've talked about. The veil is gone. Christ ripped it up. So now we have access to Him through this cross. I think that is really cool. That's on your tabernacle. That's how He shows us exactly how it's done. Old Testament style. Alright, now this is what Steve talked about in the beginning. Another thing with the tabernacle is He has equipped us with everything we need. These guys, the Bezalel and Ahab, they were slaves in Egypt, as were all the Israelites. They've, they've been slaves their entire life. They're not necessarily craftsmen and embroidery ladies and, and, and all this. They've been slaves. But God gave them the wisdom and understanding to make this intricate thing. And just like Steve says, we are frail too. And, and God can equip us to do everything we need for His work. And I think that's a very cool tie-in. The third thing, a healthy, fruitful relationship with God requires obedience and a clean vessel. And this is probably one of my favorite things about this. First... You know, God tells Moses and the Israelites, you need to make this. And constantly, in in Exodus and Leviticus, it says that they did as the Lord commanded. You can actually look up that phrase, and it's over 27 times. Everything they did, they did exactly as the Lord commanded. They didn't have their own excuses, come up with reasons they should probably make it a little easier. They did exactly as the Lord commanded, and I admire them for that. Just like we should. The second thing, clean vessels. In our Bibles, vessel is it usually refers to people. We are vessels. We are God's vessels. Our, our vessel here holds our soul. It holds the Holy Spirit. We're important to God. There's some neat passages in Daniel that talk about how important the vessels are. We are his vessels. Now, one thing I didn't touch on, I was going to make a slide for it, but I just kind of ran out of time. But In order to do all of this work, they needed a bunch of vessels, a bunch of instruments. And, and here's one of the lists. Pans, shovels, basins, fish hooks, or flesh hooks, fire pans. They also needed snuffers, the olive oil dishes. They needed all these important vessels to do God's work, to have a relationship with God. If we're His vessels, then we also are important. These vessels were always made of solid gold. They were precious, just like we are. So, 
we should be in order to have a relationship with God we need to be those pure vessels ready for his use I think it talks about that in Timothy that we're all vessels of honor and dishonor these were all vessels of honor that God used to, to bring about his work and that is it one, but one thing I wanted to show you real quick we got just a few minutes um, I found a cool little video let me just close this out a little video that does a walkthrough there's no let's see if I can get it up here uh, I don't know it's my wife uh, I gotta turn around Right, let me back it up a little bit. Man, I can't even move the stupid mouse. There it is. This is like a little uh, 3D walkthrough of the temple. See, there's the outer court, the linen curtains, the, the, the four-color gate, the brass pegs of judgment going into the sand. These are all setting in brass sockets. Big wide gate. Anybody can go in. And once we go into the, the inner court, there's our brazen altars. First thing we see is the sacrifice. We've got the horns, the staves to carry it. The grate is at the same height as the mercy seat. So if you're looking, you'd see the mercy seat through it. Uh, the, the labor, where they wash before they go in. See, now here's only where the priest would be going through here. Here's the, the tent of the congregation, the same four colors. 15 foot tall. This one's half the width of the first gate. There's our gold bars. All the gold boards in here. Our furnishings. Um, I don't know what that is, but it's there. Uh, Like I said last week, there's 66 knops and almonds and flowers on that candlestick. So it's also a type of the word. There's our altar of incense setting right in front of the cherubs garden at Last Veil. We're lucky enough to go in it. Well, actually, we do go in and out, but they couldn't. But there's the Ark of the Covenant. It's the only thing in this room. There's no light. It was only lit by God's glory. High priest would come in here once a year and sprinkle blood on that mercy seat. Um, and then they just kind of they just kind of turn around and go out. So I'm gonna go ahead and stop it. I got a few minutes, but. And it's got the uh, the, uh, the the required biblical music playing that they always pray the play and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> and then they're leaving. It's kind of a neat little video that shows what it would have looked like. I'm sure it was magnificent. I'm sure it smelled good between the bread and the incense. Alright, there's that. So, any questions? Also in your handout, I put uh, like an appendix sheet that has all the furnishings listed. A bunch of detail about each one of them. Uh, Yeah, I was going to mention, I think in in the Kings, like with Solomon, when he 
I picture the uh, Ark of the Covenant a little bit different because the cherubs, like the wings, touch each other in the center, and then yeah. they touch the walls. So I, I picture the Ark of the Covenant having the mercy seat being like a seat, more of a chair. More of a chair. That would make sense. They call it a seat. Yeah. And interestingly enough, the the Ark of the Covenant is the only furnishing that they actually put in the new temple yeah. uh, when David and when Solomon built it. So. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this other stuff they didn't use. They 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 had like ten basins and yeah. a bunch of stuff. So. Yeah. But they actually did use the same Ark. Yeah. So, any other questions? Yes. Well, when did they ever get the idea that a cherub was a little fat baby like? I can't probably the the uh, well that's part of the European. I don't know if you ever read Francis Schaeffer's book where he talks about that, but yeah, it's like the European Jesus that we always see. Yeah, it's from that. All right, so I'm done. Did you see anything? Pardon? All right, we'll pray. We'll get going. Uh, Lord, I do thank you for today. I just always thank you for the chance to meet in your house, Lord, with your people and just uh, continue to pray for all those on our, our prayer list, all the suffering and all of our families and things that are needing prayer for, Lord. And uh, I just want to pray for the service now as we go in that you would uh, just bless us, Lord, and encourage us with uh, with your words that you've given uh, the preacher and just pray to bring us back safe next week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Yeah, thanks for visiting. It's kind of a... I'm going fast. Yeah, I love PowerPoint. I do it at work all the time. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's actually it's really good. Yeah, you bet. It's probably like the details, but I never heard like on the actual... Like, oh, the tab, right? Yeah, that's really a cool box. I left out. I like out. the video because it's easy to know what you're doing. It is. We're visual people. That's why I like... What a way to use technology. That's what I do. I always tell Steve I use the things I learned in Egypt. Yeah, but it's so terrible most of the time. (laughs)